0: All right, church, let's worship today. We're going to uh, start with this great old hymn. You've heard our pastor say many times this uh, hymn, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And we know this comes from uh, Psalm 51. King David says, for my transgressions are, uh, are great. My sin is ever before me, right? And we also see this in the Apostle Paul's writing in, in uh, Romans 7. That that fight, that classic fight between what he wants to do and he knows he he's he's sinning and he he can't do and that sin nature. And we know that about ourselves, amen. And so with that in mind, let's say, Lord God, help me worship today. Help me put all of my heart and mind and affection on you. Let's sing this together. Come thou found of every blessing.
1: And come thou, thou out of every, every blessing, Turn to my heart. To
0: Let's uh, let's pray together. Lord God, we come into your presence, Lord, thanking you. And Lord, realizing that we are prone to wonder. We know this. We're prone to leave the God that we love. When we drift, we always drift away. We never drift toward. We know this. And so, Lord, with that in mind, help us to focus all of our heart and mind and affection on you today, Lord, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. When we open your word, we would read it and study it with a view toward obeying. Not just a view toward knowing, but a view toward obeying. Lord, help us to do this today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you grab one of these connection cards, uh, we would appreciate that. And let us know you're worshiping with us. Maybe it's your first or second time with us. And we would love to know who you are. And uh, if you want to know more information about the church, what does it mean to have a relationship with Christ? What does it mean to be baptized? There's boxes on the back there. You can check those and we'll get with you. and. Uh, let you know about anything you would ask, and, and certainly we'll always be faithful to pray for those prayer requests that you have. So please do that and put that in the offering plate at the end of the service. Well, we're going to sing a great song to, uh, that reminds us that we have to put our, our faith in something and that someone, I should say, is Christ and Christ alone. Amen. This, this great hymn reminds us of that. Let's sing together.
1: found a resting place, not in by sword grief. I trust the ever-living One, His wounds for me shall please. Jesus says, this sends my day.
0: Put our faith in Christ alone. Amen. And this uh, song reminds us of where our faith is placed. Let's sing it
1: together. Our Father everlasting, the all-creating one, God Almighty, through your Holy Spirit concealing Our faith, the singer, our, our God judge and our, our defender, defenders subverted and crucified. crucified. And in your holy church, I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again.
0: those arms. He will not let go. Amen. song we'd like to sing. Uh, by the way, we'll feature some people behind me. Amen. Woo-hoo! <laughs> the choir is back in the loft. And praise the Lord. And uh, we had such a great time Wednesday night. Uh, tears came to my eyes to see them back in the choir loft again. And, and we're going to sing a song that, that reminds us of Jesus being... Uh, Colossians 1 uh, reminds us of this. Jesus is center. Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is supreme. Amen? And, and uh, you know, today is an important day because somebody tells me at, at 530 there's, there's something important sort of happening. Today. Uh, uh, well, anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the first Super Bowl was won by uh, a coach by the name of Vince. Vince Lombardi. Lombardi was famous for beginning his uh, practices, is his, the first time the guys met during the year, with holding up a football and saying what? Gentlemen, this is a football. Now, he's saying that from guys who are MVP caliber players. They know it's a football. But Lombardi knew you've got to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing in here is Christ, in Christ alone. Amen? And so this song reminds us of that. listen to this, and then sing along with us.
1: Jesus at the center of it all Jesus at the center of it all From beginning to the end It has always been it always be you Jesus 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 at
2: the center of it all
1: Jesus at
0: nothing else matters nothing
1: else matters church Jesus be the center of
2: What a wonderful fitting song for our study in Ephesians to be reminded that Jesus is the center of it all. You need only look at verse 10 as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Jesus truly is the center of it all. He's the sub and and substance of it all. In seminary, I had the privilege of studying, taking a class or two and And being a grader for a man named Andres Kossenberger. And he is uh, presently, thank the Lord, uh, over the graduate study at Midwestern Seminary. That's your seminary in your state in Kansas City. Dr. Kossenberger was one of the first men I'd ever, ever met where I saw so much of an incredible scholarly ability. Together with a passion to teach students. And I'm forever grateful for that experience. And I often wondered, how did this dude get so smart? And scholarly. And then as years went by, I found out that he studied. Uh, he was a student of Dr. Don Carson. And I'm like, okay, that I get it. I get what the deal is. You probably don't know Dr. Cosenberger nor Don Carson, but he is a phenomenal scholar, well known in all circles. I think Dr. Carson's probably 74, and he's still at Trinity Evangelical. But the reason I tell you that is about the time Dr. Kossenberger was a student of Dr. Carson, he wrote a book in 1992. I was 22 years of age, so that's been 27 or eight years ago, right? OK? And it was called "A Spiritual: A Call to Spiritual Reformation." The subtitle is interesting: Priorities from Paul and his Prayers. We are about to engage in one of Paul's prayers. And what were the priorities of Paul's praying? Something we have to think about this morning. An excerpt from his book, it begins by asking this question. What is the most urgent need in the church in the western world today? Now he asked that question in 1992, but I'm telling you it's just as relevant today. More so, maybe, in 2021. What is the greatest need in the church in the Western world today? This was Dr. Carson's answer. The one thing we most urgently need in Western Christendom is a deeper knowledge of God. Do we need that today? He said we need to know God better. He goes on to say when it comes to knowing God, we we are a culture of the spiritually stunted. So much of our religion is packaged to address felt needs and these are almost uniformly anchored in our pursuit of our own happiness and fulfillment. God simply becomes the great being who, potentially at least, meets our needs and fulfills our aspirations. We think rather little of what He is like, what He expects of us, and what He seeks in us. He goes on to say we are not captured by His holiness and His love. We're not captured by His thoughts and words. Too little of our discourse, too few of our priorities are centered around who God is and His person. In the biblical view of things, right, we would say that a deeper knowledge of God brings massive improvements in the areas of purity and integrity. Wouldn't you all agree with that? The right view and deeper knowledge of God. What about evangelistic effectiveness in the church? What about our mission endeavors? Would they not be helped by a deeper knowledge of God? But he goes on to say, If we seek these things without passionately desiring a deeper knowledge of God and who He is, we are selfishly running after God's blessings without running after Him. You know, we can even be guilty as a church of doing things, and maybe doing right things, but not focusing on the God. Who is the giver and the blesser of all of us? And the one that we should seek to know more than anything. Carson ends this straightforward section by asking a few questions. Where is our delight in praying? Again, we're moving from knowledge of God to prayer. Right? What we know of him should affect our praying. Maybe I'm preaching to the choir, but I don't think I am. This is true in my own life. It has to be true in your life. Where is our sense that we are meeting with the living God when we pray? That we're doing business with God. That we are interceding with genuine unction before the throne of grace. We have to ask ourselves a question. Here's another thing he says. How much of our praying is formulaic? How much of it is liberally larded with cliches that remind us uncomfortably of the hypocrites that Jesus denounced bitterly in the New Testament scribes and Pharisees who prayed on the street corner and blew their horn before they prayed and fasted so others might see and gave so others might notice them. Scripture says you've got your reward already right but we are to actually seek treasures above well I say all that to tell you this I believe that the book of Ephesians is a book of prayer I believe that the book of Ephesians can help us in our praying. I think it can enhance our prayer lives. So we've been entrenched in a study like none you've made, you may have never studied the book of Ephesians. I don't even know how many sermons we've preached so far, but a lot. All right, beginning in chapter 1 and we've just gone down through verse 14. And what is this about? It's a glorious section of scripture. It is a doxology. What are we doing in this doxology? We're blessing our God because he has blessed us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so, we're blessing God. It's a doxology. However, in this passage, beginning at verse 15, we're going to move from praise to prayer. We're going to move from praise to prayer. Good stuff, right? Did you know that beginning in verse 3 down through verse 14 is one sentence in the Greek language? Now you've got commas and periods and stuff supplied for you, but they're not in the Greek. When you get to verse 15 and end in verse 23, guess what? That's also still one sentence in the Greek. So we have two long sentences in chapter 1. So this passage overall is a reminder... That we must be people who know God, but also people who pray. So in this prayer of thanksgiving and intercession, Paul expresses gratitude to God for the Ephesian believers and is going to pray specifically for their growth and their knowledge of God and their awareness of all they have in Christ, who the Bible says it all is all in all. We've just sung about that, right? So Paul is going to do those things in this marvelous section of Scripture. So we're going to have principles that emerge from this passage that I pray will be revolutionary and reforming for our church. That it will enhance our prayer life corporately as a body and also individually as the people of God. Notice how Paul makes the transition. Are you ready for the reading? Verse 15. Did I have to tell you what book we're in? All right. For this reason... It actually can be rendered, for this reason, I too. He's going to connect this section directly with what has been given before. That's important for you to think about. What reason is Paul talking about? For this reason. Well, everything that's been said beginning in verse 3 down through verse 14. For this reason. Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Key verse. I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers. And now Paul is going to express the prayer. Inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom. And of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That you may know what is the hope to which, you, to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. How was that power exemplified? When he raised him from the dead. When he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Have you noticed that the content of Paul's prayer is fueled by the content of verses 3 through 14? Anybody notice that when you read that prayer? Uh, And Should the word of God make an impact on our praying? Should what the Bible says, thus saith the Lord, should it make an impact on the way we actually pray? God is to be praised because he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And the crowning evidence is stunning how God has blessed you. It's the main verb in that section. He chose you in him before the very foundation of the world. Is that not stunning? That you would be holy and blameless before him in love. This was an act of sovereign love. He, in love, predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus. And why did he do this? For the pleasure of his own will. Folks, God ought to be praised for that. He should be praised for that. None of these blessings were bestowed upon us because of our intrinsic goodness or our worth or anything that God foreseen in you that you would have. It was in Christ, not in you, that he chose you, right? It is him and him alone. So there are all these glorious graces given to us, freely given to us in Christ. And for this reason, Paul set himself to pray. In other words, contextually, you cannot divorce his prayer from what he said before. Because he says it clearly, for this reason. For this reason, I'm going to begin to pray and I'm going to pray the way That I actually pray. So Paul is led to pray. Based upon the praise. To our God. Now does praying. Does our praying. Reflect the prayer of Paul. Is our prayers. At times laden. Only with requests. We come before the Lord. With petitions that we forget. We come before the Lord with our petitions. And we forget. That the one we come before is worthy of all praise we just kind of rush in haphazardly God get rid of this coronavirus thing I've had enough of these masks or I need this or I need that we come with our petitions but I want to remind you the Bible says he is the holy and exalted one I want to remind you that the Bible says he calls his name holy I want to remind you that he says that he dwells in a high and holy place. We forget as we rush in and make our request and needs known to him that he is first and foremost a God who is worthy of our praise. Do you see how the praise in verses 3-14 through 14 fuels Paul's praying? I would submit to you that communion with God and prayer are hand in hand. Knowledge of God, communion with God, leads to praise to God. You can't meet with God and not praise Him. So, these things are intricately linked together. John Stott once said, if we keep together praise and prayer, benediction and petition, we are unlikely to lose our equilibrium. That's balance, right? Let's be honest. Do we have a balanced prayer life? You have to ask yourself this individually. Are your prayers laden with just requests to God for what you want based upon your desires? Or is it based upon knowledge of God and His purposes and His principles and His desires for you or for our church? Is that not a good question? Well, what will keep you balanced is to remember that our God is worthy of all praise before you start to pray. The Bible even says that. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There's a beginning to praying to recognize that God is not like us. That He is God. And that he is set apart and our attitude when we come before him is important. If we commune with our God in prayer, we know him. If we know him, and this is an inescapable reality, we can't help but praise him. When you know him, you praise him. So to have communion with God necessitates a praising people. Ah, what does that say about you on Sunday morning? Wake Wake me up, preacher, if you can. I will sing only if you tell me to. If you've communed with God all week, you can't help but sing. Now, you may not be the best singer in the world. I sit beside some of you, I know. (laughs) But it doesn't matter. How be it? Far be it that the rocks cry out in your place. We ought to be praising Him. So, before we plunge into the text, I want to give you some initial observations of what's in this passage of Scripture, okay? And I didn't think about this because I'm not real smart. But I said to myself, Lord, I don't want to skip over the fact that he moves from praise to prayer. Let's let's talk about prayer as a church. Because, you know, I believe today that our church has been exposed to a lot of good, robust theology. And it's changed our church. I believe that. I believe there's a difference in the way that we acknowledge our God today, even through praise and worship. But what a tragedy if we had right doctrine. And we had good praise and worship to our God, but we forgot to pray. Boy, what a, what a travesty. Well, oh, what a travesty. So, I thought to myself this morning, well, next Sunday is Valentine's Day. And I said, Father, I'm not sure you even care. The way we make it, sentimentality-wise. But you do care about saints loving one another. And hallelujah, next week, we're going to talk about grace that is in people's lives and how do you see it? faith and love for the saints so some of you if you got a wedge drawn between you and someone else you're in trouble next week you are you better come right? right? saints and love Paul says grace is. I can know that grace is alive in you because of your faith and love for the saints that's next week's sermon are you ready for these observations number one the sovereignty of God energizes prayer now we sometimes have the mistaken wrong headed thinking that if God is sovereign and he controls all things might I remind you that God does all things according to the counsel of his will I didn't make that up that is right there in the text it is probably only there's probably only one other statement in the Bible that compares to it and it is Romans eleven thirty-six, where all things are in him and by him and through him and for him that's Christ. But here, in the word of God, it says straightforward that he does all things according to the purpose or counsel of his will. And so, we might be tempted to think, well, if God is in control, then why do I need to pray? Some of you have thought about this, right? Now look, have you ever read a section of scripture that is more thoroughly God-centered than Ephesians 1, 3-14? Have you ever read a set of scripture that reminds us of the sovereignty of God more than this particular text? This is strong, 16 ounces per pound, no corners cut, not 15.5, not 14. This is 16 ounces to a pound of the strongest teaching in the word of God on the sovereignty of God. God chose you in him before the very foundation of the world. Before he ever laid a a cornerstone, spoke the uh, stars and the moon in place, he chose you in him before the foundation of the world. So I don't need to pray, right? He's sovereign. Well, these God-centered truths didn't nullify Paul's need to pray. It did not quench his desire to pray. It actually energized Paul's praying. To know that Almighty God is in control energizes my prayer life. It should yours as well. He is led by God to intercede for the very ones of which He said, you were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. He is the very one that said that God does all things according to the counsel of His will, but yet as soon as he praises God, he begins to pray. Paul is energized by the knowledge that our God controls all things. That he's working all things out according to the counsel of his will. So it's very safe to say that Paul thought, what Paul thought about God's sovereignty and what he had accomplished in his people should be the content of how he prayed his prayers. Should what we believe about God affect the way we pray? The fact that we believe our God is sovereign. Job 42 1 says, Job made this conclusion. No purposes of yours can be thwarted. Do y'all understand how universal that is? Do you understand how universal it is to make the statement, exclusive, that God does all things, all things, according to the counsel of His will? So there is no conflict between a God who works all things according to the counsel of His will and His call upon His people to earnestly, fervently pray. There's no conflict between those things. We are called by God to pray. So it is the very... Decrees of God that speak to our hearts. The very decrees of God should speak to our hearts, should affect our praying. All right, number two, prayer should always be based on truth and aligned with God's purposes and spiritual priorities. Now, let's be honest today. Let's do some introspection. If we're honest, most of our praying is unbridled sentiment married together with undisciplined desires. You're welcome. but isn't that true? That's, that's my own life. Unbridled sentiment married together with undisciplined desires. What did Paul pray? The truth of the word of God. And as he prays, he prays according to the purposes. Now, that kind of goes back to Dr. Carson's book, correctly Correct? Spiritual Reformation. And then we're looking at the priorities of Paul and his prayers. And that's what the text is unfolding for us. Did you know, and I hate to hurt your feelings, that in and of itself, there's nothing about prayer that is virtuous. Not in and of itself. There are a lot of people in this world who pray, but they don't pray to your God. There's nothing about prayer that makes it necessarily virtuous or good or effective. The only thing that makes it virtuous, good, and effective is the God you're praying to and the priorities of which you're asking Him to meet. I got one amen. But that is the truth. Correct? So think about this. God help our prayers do more than just be simply expressing childish desires and carnal priorities. We need our prayers shaped by the Word of God. If God only hears or God only responds... To his own purposes and priorities, should we not figure out what they are? The scripture says, ask anything according to my will, and I will do it. Praise God. That says to me, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, I need to figure out what those purposes are. I need to figure out what those priorities are. Why? Because God will answer. So we need our prayers to be shaped by truth. Here's the best thing for you to start doing Did you know that your prayers are not inspired? But God's word is. So a good thing for us to do is start with the word of God when we pray. When we start with the word of God, then we know for sure that it's based upon truth. And it's going to be aligned with his purposes and his spiritual priorities. You're on good ground if you pray God's word back to him. Smile. Yeah. But is that not so far away from us at times? Why? Because we live in the land of the American dream. And we really think our God is a celestial bellhop that gives us what we want when we ask. But we often ask so, so far away from real spiritual priorities and principles. So our prayers are not inspired, but His Word is. Here is how we can pray. Are you all ready? Verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So let me give you a rundown of what's going on in this passage of Scripture. The key thought is followed by two content clauses. What's the key thought? Without ceasing, I am praying for you. I am thankful for you, and I see faith, and I see love for the saints. But here's the priority in his praying. There are two content clauses given. One is found in verse 17, and it's worded like this. God may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Honestly, when's the last time we asked God to do that? Just think about it for a moment. This is, I'm preaching to myself, I get it. But I'm also preaching to you. That's verse 17. Only two content clauses that drive the prayer. God may you give to to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. In verse 18, we have the second content clause, and it is that you may know. All right? That God may give to us the spirit of spiritual wisdom, revelation, understanding, and that we may know. All right, here's a question know what? Well, this one, to know, will be expanded with three interrogative pronouns. Here it is. What is the hope of the calling? All oh, folks, do we need this? Why did you save me to begin with? And what's the hope of the calling? When's, when's the last time we stopped to think about this? What are the riches of his glorious grace? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power? Could oh, can we stand a little power in our day? Could we? Absolutely. And then in verse 20, he's going to elaborate that power. And don't you love this? How did God show his power? By raising Christ from the dead. Hallelujah! Resurrection power. What else did he do? He exemplified his power by seating him in the heavenly places. And not only that, but subjecting all things to him. And giving Christ to the church. Last time I checked, Christ is the head of this church. Anything with two heads is a freak. And Christ is the head of the church. Not elders, not deacons, not women, not men. Christ is the head of the church. Furthermore, he's going to show you what power looks like. And I can't wait to get to chapter 2. Just as he chose you in him before the foundation of the world, the next verb that drives chapter 2 is he made us alive. That's the power of Almighty God. To take somebody who is dead and make them alive. I can preach for a million years and never do that. All it takes is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and He'll wake you up. Amen? The power of God. So, here is solid biblical praying. Father, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Father, open the eyes of our hearts. You ever prayed this for your kids? God. Give them eyes to see spiritual priorities. Help us to understand what the hope of our calling is. Let the power of God be evident in our lives. Folks, that's praying. That's praying according to God's priorities. His principles. His purposes. Please hear me. I'm not negating the fact that we should pray for our daily bread. I haven't said that, have I? It's in the the model prayer. There are small things there are necessities of life that we ought to put before our God because he supplies them as well. The problem is we don't often move past the small things in praying. Uh, we, you young people, you're looking at me so spiritual right now. When's the last time you sat down for a spelling test and you said, Lord, eternity hinges on my degree. Eternity hinges on whether I pass the spelling test or not. Well, actually, for my kids, I knew they had to come home to Dad, right? And they would find out. How many times have we prayed like this, Lord? I know I didn't study. But God, would you give me divine intervention? Right? You know, help me, Lord. i got to do. How many times have we prayed like this? Now, God, Father, I was disciplined. Would you help me with the diligence by which I studied this material? And would you give me recall? You young people ever pray like that? No, you want divine intervention. You want to forget about the discipline and the study, and You just want God to pour it into you, right? Are you getting the drift of what's going on? Now, that's students. But what if I gathered just 10 of you randomly and I said, what has been the content of your praying this week? Uh-oh. Let's do that right now. No, I'm kidding. What, what would be the content? What would it reveal? What do you think we would talk about? Well, I know we would talk about health. COVID-19, we would talk about finances. We would talk about circumstances of life. But you'd probably be hard-pressed to find one who prayed, God, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Let's be honest. Our praying must be shaped and molded and conformed to the truth of God's word. I can't say that enough, folks. We should pray according to his purposes. If we ask according to his purposes, he will do it. Why not commit to pray to God in what he has committed already to do? Now, let me give you an example of this. Are y'all listening? This is one of those moments where you need to listen. When Jesus petitioned the Father on the night he was betrayed, every petition he made, not the least of which was, Father, glorify me with the glory I had from the beginning of the world, was already given as a sovereign decree and a plan of God, and Jesus still prayed. How many of you think that the glory of Jesus back to his Father, which was in the beginning, was a foregone conclusion? It was prophesied in the Bible. How many of us knew full well that it was a foregone conclusion that he would be born in Bethlehem and born from a virgin? Also told in the Bible, fulfilled. Did Jesus know the night he was betrayed, that he was about to be betrayed? That he would give himself a ransom for many and die on a cruel Roman cross and nothing would change that? Did he know full well that he would come forth from the grave, destroy this temple, three days I'll raise it up, and yet, he still prayed to the Father. Why? Because the Father has his will. And we are the people of God. And we're not praying to get our will done on earth. We are praying to get the Father's will done on earth. We're not praying so that God will conform his will to ours. We're praying that our will will be conformed to his. So we pray the word of God. We allow the word of God to change our thought processes. Okay. Our spiritual, our priorities will come out in our prayers. Did y'all know that? You can't help it. What moves your affections will come out in your prayers. What's your prayer life? All right, one more. Prayer is the means by which we appropriate our blessings and privileges in Christ. Now, what does all that mean? Well, this means that we're not just receiving information. We are needing transformation. In other words, you can read that doctrine all day long, beginning in verse 3 down through 14, and you realize you can't change it, and it's truth. Are y'all listening? But has it become a part of you? In other words, do you own it? Have you appropriated it into your life? Well, I'm telling you, the real tale is how you pray. Prayer will reveal if you've actually appropriated what the Word of God has to say. And have you been transformed by it? And once we've been informed by the blessings of Christ, how does that truth transform our lives? It ought to be appropriated. How does Paul pray? Father, open their eyes so that they can see what you've done for them. You know, I sit up here all the time preaching like that. Lord, I know what you've done for me experientially and what the Bible says, and it just doesn't appear that the people I'm talking to get it. I mean, seriously, you ought to be up here where I am looking at you. I'm going to make you get up here and preach, minus the women, right? I'll make you get up here and preach. And just see what the response is. But folks, truth must transform. It has to transform us. We have to own it. Have you really owned the gospel for yourself? Folks, this is simplistic. I get it. But but if what you believe in God and Christ, and he's transformed you by these incredible doctrines, if that doesn't come out in your praying, then you may need a heart change. It's serious to think about this. Has it become a part of you? When it actually lays hold of your affections, it will transform the way you think. Remember, salvation is more than just moral transformation. And we think in America that's all that matters. I'm telling you, salvation is also mind transformation. The reason our country's in the shape it's in is because Christians don't use their minds. And the Bible says that you are called by God to love Him with all your heart, soul, soul, and mind. Yes, it's a good thing to love God with your mind. It's a good thing to think about that. So have we gone through some difficult days lately. It's been an amazing thing as a pastor to watch people's response to the coronavirus. Man, we've all been hit hard. We got people sitting under the sound of my voice who've lost loved ones. We got close friends that died from it. And and all of our reflection. I mean it's kind of like a roller coaster when you think about it. But can I give you a suggestion in the midst of a storm? Why not meditate and pray. Father grant to me according to the riches of your glory. That I will be strengthened with power through your spirit. In the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith. And that I will be rooted and grounded in love. Boy that would have made a huge difference. If we had started praying that in March. Just think about it folks. Our service to God should have never been turned off like a water faucet as soon as it hit. It ought to have been turned on for the glory of Jesus. Oh, I could say a lot more, but let's move on. It's not merely enough to know the truth. You must pray the truth and make it your own. Do you see how clear this passage is? We must appropriate truth make it our own through prayer. Now this week, here's my challenge to you as your pastor. Pick up Ephesians 1 and read 3 through 14 and pray through it. I'm telling you, you can't help but you're transformed. Would you pick up 3 through 14 and pray it? As we dig into this prayer and look forward to talking about those Thanksgiving things, right? And the petition and the praise, I appeal to you as a church body, corporately, let's make prayer more of a priority in our church. We haven't. I'm just telling you. Guilty, guilty, everybody. Right? Let's make it more of a priority in our church. God has blessed us. Again, biblical doctrine, it's in this place. We're thinking about worship to God, right? Jesus said the Father seeks such to worship him. But if we forget to pray, we're in trouble. Let's not commit, forget our commitment. It will be a shame. Prayers should be the very heartbeat of the body of Christ. Do you know that uh, we have a group of men that, see, David, myself, James, we, we go to uh, Sands every Thursday morning. Uh, we need to spend more time praying at that, at that time. We, we, we discuss theology, but I'm just telling you. We need to spend some time. I don't care if everybody in there hears us praying. and that's good. There's another group of men made up of about probably what David ate, Men in our church that come in, they're older so they get up later, right? But they come in about 30 minutes after and they get around a table. I challenged them this morning in the worship service. Let's spend time praying. Men together with men. Women together with women. Making an effort to do exactly what the Word of God asks us to do. And let's see what our God does in response. Are you all with me? We need this. And I'm not saying we don't pray that we're prayer as a church, but I'm just telling you, I'm convicted in reading this and praying through it. We need to be a praying church and a praying people. How many of you parents pray for your children? And I would venture to say that when it comes to praying for your children, we probably tend to prioritize scriptural prayers more when we pray for our children than any other thing. Is that not true? Deep down in my heart, I could care less what my kids make, money-wise. Now, it does help me, right? Because if they make money, I don't have to give it to them. I get all that. But in light of eternity, I could care less. What I care about is spiritual priorities. God opened the eyes of their hearts. Lord, grant spiritual wisdom for them to make decisions that honor you. Is this not the way we pray? My reason for saying that is to tell you not to stop. Don't stop. Keep praying. All the God of eternity has to do is speak the word. All he has to do is break the heart with the preaching of the word. All he has to do is stop him in his tracks. He can do it. God can do it. Don't forget that. He's sovereign. He has great might that raised Christ from the dead. Seated him in the heavenly places. Subjected all things to Christ. Don't Stop praying. Now, the fact of the matter is, if I'm going to address, I can't see. If I'm going to address the parents that pray, I need to address the kids that are prayed for. Right? Do we need praying moms and dads? Yeah, it's well been said. Nothing moves heaven like a praying mother. I think you ought to put us in there too, right, guys? Praying for the kids. But here's what Spurgeon said to children. If a mother's prayers do not bring us to Christ they are like drops of oil that are dropped into the flames of hell but will make them burn more fiercely. You see why he was called the Prince of Preachers? Take heed of rushing to perdition over your mother's prayers. Now some of you may be much older now and you think you've got it all together and everything's good and it's that way in your own eyes but I want to remind you If you don't know Christ, then I can assure you that the greatest prayer upon the heart of your mom and dad is that you may come to know the riches of His grace. That you may be saved by grace through faith. And that you would spend your life praising God. So, we pray, please bring my son or my daughter into the kingdom, don't we? All right. let's praise our God for the gift and privilege of prayer as well. At the conclusion of this sermon, isn't it wonderful that we have a prayer hearing prayer, answering God. That you can go to Him any moment if you belong to Him. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. There's a reason why we pray first, Father, and the reason why we enter, end our prayer in Jesus' name, because I'm telling you, without Jesus, you cannot approach Him. Right? There's no access. There's no, if He doesn't see the righteousness of Christ in you, the obedience of Christ fulfilled in you, then there's no access. But aren't you thankful that all we have to do We don't even have to close our eyes. Just immediately go into his presence. All because of Jesus. And know full well that he hears you. So here's the deal. Let our prayers, folks, be filled with praise. Amen. Blessed be the God who blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Let it be energized by the doctrines of grace. Because anything God does for people is grace. He doesn't have to do a thing. If he reaches out, if he comes down, if he changes, if he chooses, if he saves, it's because God does it. And then finally, let our praying be aligned with the purposes of God. To God be the glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Great God, we are so thankful for your word. God, this this has been like a shot in the heart to me this week. Just to study and the amount of conviction. Lord, we fail you miserably. But God, I'm I'm praying for accountability in this area from my men and women in this church. And Lord, may we be accountable to them to say there are things that are way less important when it comes to reading the word and seeing what your priorities are, what your principles are. God, would you help us as a church not only believe sound doctrine, have robust theology? And not only worship you, because you're worthy of it, but Lord, help us in our praying. God, we need you to teach us to pray. We need your mind and your heart in this church. God, help us. If there's someone here today that is lost, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a parent. Father, may you open their eyes. Open the heart, the eyes of their understanding. So that they may see you, embrace you. For as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe upon his name. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves; It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God, help us. May you speak to hearts during the invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. have
1: thine own way
2: 530 this afternoon, prayer and fasting, right here in the auditorium. Are y'all in with me? Where's your priorities? No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to watch it too. There's no doubt about it. Okay. But seriously, we need to think about that. Have I told you lately what an honor it is to be your pastor? I don't take that lightly. I don't know how many years I'll be on this earth. I don't know how many years I'll be preaching. I could die tonight. That'd be all right, too, for to me to live as Christ and to die is gain. It'd be nice to see the one I preached about all these years, right? It's coming in the future. However, in the meantime, we need to be the church that God wants us to be, not what the world wants us to be, not even what the church down the road expects us to be, but what God wants us to be. And I'm thankful that you're a member, uh, that you're engaged, that you're serving, that you're growing, and that's what God wants us to do as his people. Amen? All right. Andy Ellett, would you voice a closing prayer, and then we're going to do the doxology. Amen? All right, let's pray.
1: See?